This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I am super excited to bring you today's guest, Robert Paler. Before I introduce Robert, I want to share a little bit more about him. In 2017, Robert Paler suffered a catastrophic spinal cord injury while playing in a collegiate collegiate rugby national championship for UC Berkeley. Despite being told that he would never walk or use his hands for the rest of his life, Robert has spent the last three years defying odds. In addition to garnering public support, Robert has drawn on his unshakable work ethic and unbreakable vision. Since his accident, he has graduated from UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business, and most recently, stood up out of his wheelchair on his own in September 2020. In addition to once again walking, Robert is driven by his passion to share methods he's learning in battling paralysis and achieving goals, no matter how daunting they may seem. Robert, thank you so much for joining us here today. Absolutely, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this. So as I was sharing with you before we went on air, I... Um, I've been watching uh, a lot of videos of you. You've got a great YouTube channel, channel and really documents your journey in such an incredible way. Every little milestone is on there, which I loved. I just thought it was so amazing to kind of see your journey over the last three years. But, um, you know, definitely the most powerful thing for me was watching the video of that game in 2017. And um, I mean, it, it shook me a little bit. And, and I'd like for you to start by walking through that day with our audience. And, um, you know, one of the things I saw uh, or heard, which was pretty interesting, was that it said uh, Penn Mutual Collegiate Rugby uh, Championship. And, and for those that don't know, Penn Mutual is actually uh, an incredible sponsor of the Travis Manning Foundation. So I'm very familiar with their commitment to collegiate rugby. And um, they actually have an award that they give out every year um, for, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flub the name, but I think it's the Life of Significance Award, and it goes to a collegiate rugby player every year. Um, and so when I heard Penn Mutual, I thought, oh, wow, that's, that was pretty interesting. But Digressing, walk us through that day in 2017, uh, the day that, that ultimately changed your life. Yeah, the day was May 6th of 2017, and I will forever remember this day better than any day in my life. I woke up, it's the morning of the Collegiate Rugby National Championship, Division One, and I just couldn't sleep that night. I just absolutely couldn't do it. This was a moment that I dreamed about for years being an athlete, it's, it's the pinnacle of rugby 
in, in America uh, at the collegiate level. And I was starting as a sophomore on the number one team in the nation, which is no easy or common thing to do, right? And just to put some context to it, the Cal rugby program is very historied, very successful, prestigious program. I think we're on 32 national championships now. And then just to kind of put that in perspective, I think the only team that's won more championships than us at any level is the Harlem Globetrotters. And, you know, their kids are rigged, right? So we're doing okay. And I woke up and just thinking, everything's going my way. You know, I'm starting on this team. I'm in UC Berkeley, the number one public university in the world. I have all these plans, all these goals, these dreams that I'm working towards. I remember busing over to Santa Clara. Uh, I was at the University of Santa Clara that we played and uh, getting into the locker room. Everyone's getting taped up. You got that low murmur of chatter going on. We're getting ready for something pretty serious. Rugby is a tough game. It's a really tough game. It's 80 minutes straight of full contact with no pads. You're getting out there and you are hitting people. You're putting your body on the line to a degree in this sport. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I mean, rugby was so much a part of who I was, my accomplishments and my worth. A lot of it came from being a rugby player. And we had an awesome pregame warm-up. You know, we're standing side by side for the national anthem. I remember saying the Our Father in Psalms 23, as I always did before I played and we won the coin toss. So we wanted to kick it off. You know, we wanted to like hit them first. So we all lined up and all said our words to each other. The ref blew his whistle. And then we were just sprinting down that field. It's national championship time. Let's go spill your guts on this field. Now it was just a moment later in the game that I was competing in a mall. And for those who don't know rugby very well, it's when the bigger guys, we group together in the single unit and we push to advance the ball Defense's job is to come straight in from the other side and stop us from driving forward. And I'm a big guy, right? I mean, I'm six foot five, 245 pounds. I'm not on this field to do the fancy finesse stuff. No, I just move people that don't want to be moved. That is my purpose here. We're just five meters out from scoring. I mean, I'm practically like drooling here on this field. Thing, let's go, Rob. Drive this thing in. <laughs> and then these other players, they start making these illegal moves, and the referee's not calling it. So. One player comes in from the side, which is a minor infraction. You'll play what's called advantage at that point where you continue to go forward. And if the momentum isn't still in your way, if the ref calls it, we would, we would work with that penalty. But still, nothing's going on. This player also binds me around my neck. He has me in a headlock. He's pinning my chin to my chest. Now, in rugby, normally, this would be an automatic yellow card, if not red card. Uh, ref blows his whistle. There is no advantage. You stop right there. Very dangerous. The ref isn't calling it. Two more players coming from the sides. What are we on penalty number four now? The player who has me bound around my neck also hooks my leg up. That's another penalty. Another player comes in. He chops me down by the leg. So I start falling down. There's nothing I can do. And since this guy has my chin pinned to my chest, I just get rode all the way down to the ground. I close my eyes. I grip my teeth and then snap. I felt this crunch in my neck and then just poof. Everything below my about collarbone level was completely numb and motionless. It was that feeling when you wake up and, you know, your arms numb, but it was everywhere. I couldn't feel anything. And I'm, scr I mean, I'm scrambling. I'm trying to give everything I have in this panic to get up and keep playing. And I can't move. I can't move anything. I have my face in the dirt and I can barely even breathe. And I think the only way to explain it is it's like being in a nightmare and you can't wake up. You know, we all have those kinds of nightmares. You know, sometimes there are times when you can't move and everything, and you're just, you're just waiting to wake up. You're waiting for it to end. And that's what I was doing, but 
it was real. I mean, you could have like pinched me and I wouldn't have even felt it. I immediately start praying to God. Uh, I'm thinking, God, why is this happening? God, help me. God, heal me. Um, how could this be my plan in life? I was always a firm believer in that things happen for a reason, uh, that there's a plan and that, that plan for us is good. And I thought, how can I do anything good in this world, not being able to move my body? I'm not going to be able to go back to school, see my friends, get a career, you know, meet a girl, get married, start a family. I mean, I'm not even going to be able to feed myself again or walk. These thoughts on the field, like, is this yes. on the field? This is like the first three minutes of this injury. I am completely conscious, completely aware of what's going on. And my thoughts are running wild. Um, the trainers and doc. Oh. Yeah. Well, I saw like when you're watching the video, you see it first, like the play keeps happening. Like you go down, everybody kind of separates, but people are still moving. And, and then all of a sudden people kind of start looking at you and they see like, there's something going on here. And then it has the trainers and the staff are surrounding you. And then you see your parents there. And when they pick you up and they move you onto like the, the, um, the gurney and they're taking you out, you can see that you're wide awake. And I wondered what's, what's that conversation like with your parents? What's happening? in that moment, what's happening with your trainers, with your coaches? Are you, you're saying to them, I can't move. Um, and I, and I imagine that they, at that point, know the severity and your dad actually said something in the video that I was watching. And he said, you know, Robert wasn't somebody that went down easily. And when he went down, he always got back up. And, you know, he said, when I started coming down the stairs and I saw him, he said, I, I just fell to my knees because he knew that it was bad. That's exactly it. Um, I looked like a corpse on that field. And, you know, like you pointed out earlier, they didn't even stop play. Uh, they were playing rugby right around my just completely numb, emotionless body. Um, I always tried to be so strong for my parents. I always tried to make them proud. And I just remember laying there on that field, knowing that they were going to come out and see me, knowing that the pain, uh, this would cause them how much pain there would be in, in seeing me, their son, um, someone who was always kind of this big, strong kid, someone that people look up to completely broken, completely weak. The only things I could mouth was uh, I love you more than anything in the world um, between my tears and crying. Just, I love you more than anything in the world. Um, after that, I got stretchered off the field and rushed over to the hospital. We took a series of medical imaging. My doctor came back. He told me the worst thing I could have heard. He said, Robert, what happened to you is absolutely terrible. Um, people go out and they play games like rugby and these things just happen. The reality of your situation is you will never walk again. You will never move your hands. We're going to do our best to make it so you can pick up a piece of pizza and bring it to your face. You know, do something like that. If you can do that, you beat the odds. If you can do that, you made it. And he didn't stop there. He also said, we, we need to go in for an emergency spinal fusion surgery. Uh, you rupture the disc between your C5, 6 vertebrae from C4 to C7, you have fracturing. Uh, this is only gonna get worse if we don't do something right now. Um, and by the way, this is a potentially life-threatening surgery. Um, we're coming in through the front of your neck. We're dealing with really important real estate right here. Uh, if things go bad, they go really bad. So I'll let you think about this. So I'm sitting back. After the injury. This is like four hours. Yeah. 
Yeah. And also just four hours after everything's going my way, right? I mean, talk about this transformation of life in one moment. I'm in the division one national championship and the next moment I'm being told I will never walk or move anything for the rest of my life. And that's if I survive. Um, I had wanted to make some phone calls. The first phone call I made was to my religious advisor, just to ask for advice and prayers. I wanted to receive the sacrament of anointing of the sick. That way, if I died, I'd have a good shot of going to heaven. Uh, this is how you know, serious it was. And thank goodness I made this phone call because he gave me the best piece of advice I've ever heard. He said, Robert, Throughout this journey, there's going to be a lot of things that you just can't control. But the one thing you will always have complete control over is your mindset. As long as you have breath and your lungs, blood in your veins, and a clear head on your shoulders, you can choose how you respond to the situation. You can let these things act on you and get worse because of it, or you can choose to fight every single day. You can wake up and embrace this challenge and give everything you have. It stuck with me. Uh, it stuck with me ever since. Uh, we're about thir oh gosh, 20, no, 1300 days into this roughly. Um, it sticks with me today that no matter what happens to me, I can choose how I want to respond. Um, so I chose to go into that surgery. I chose to give the best shot at getting out of this thing. So I got rolled into the operating room. I closed my eyes and that concluded May 6, 2017. Incredible to think about how drastically your life can change in, in one day, in one moment. Um, uh, incredible for me to think about as a parent myself, the desperation that your parents must have been feeling that day as you were being wheeled off that field and then hearing that news at the hospital. Um, does, I, I imagine, that the team goes on to finish playing and they don't fully know what's happened. I mean, they know it's bad. Um, they see you're taken off, but I, they don't fully know the gravity of the situation at that point, correct? No, nobody understood truly how bad it was. Neither did I, really. Yeah. And so you get the surgery, you come out of surgery, and the, the surgery is successful in the fact that they've been able to, to fix the, the, the spinal cord injury. Yeah stabilized in terms of your mobility with the rest of your body and so what does what does the next day look like for you is it and 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 listen i'm all about the the mindset uh controlling uh your mind and your approach to no matter what life is thrown at you i say it a lot um in terms of anything any challenge that's thrown in your way it's it's about how we respond to it but I, I'd have to imagine that there are moments throughout the course of this journey where you are feeling like, why me? Why did this happen to me? I mean, I, I think any, any living, living human that have go, has gone through something like this would, would have those same thoughts and frankly should have those same thoughts, right? Mm. Um, what drove you as you walked through those next few days to say, you know, to, to take that thought about how you were going to move forward and really apply that. Because, I mean, I'd imagine that you're in just this perpetual state of shock at first too, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What helped me was doing what I did for other people. Um, 
it was after that surgery that the fight really began because I contracted pneumonia right away, which was very dangerous because I couldn't cough. My diaphragm was mostly paralyzed at this point. Um, it was every three hours, respiratory therapist would come in and they just start slamming down on my lungs. I mean, just doing anything we can do to get this stuff out so I can breathe and survive. Uh, my doctors told me I might not live another day. Um, keep in mind, I'm 20 years old at this point too. You know, you know, very young, not, not really built to take on these challenges really. Um, you know, it's, it's something that I could never truly prepare for. Um, I also couldn't eat anything for about a month. There was a tube that went up my nose down in my stomach. It took like three days to get in there because I broke my nose so many times playing rugby. Um, I lost 60 pounds in a month. Uh, death was sitting with me in that room waiting for me to quit. And it was just a couple days into my injury that we started a GoFundMe campaign to help pay for the medical expenses. I'm sure as you can imagine, breaking your neck is not a good financial decision. I don't recommend it to anyone uh, in terms of the wallet. Anyways, the financial support re we received was immense. It was critical to my success to have that kind of financial support. But what helped me equally, if not more, was that emotional support that I received. There were all these people from all across the world. I mean, my Sacramento community, the Bay Area community, but then this global rugby community really rallying around me and this, this story and this fight of overcoming this challenge. Um, because I simply would not accept that I would sit back and let these things happen to me. Not at not one point of my injury have I known that I'm going to get out of my wheelchair and be able to move my full body. I have never known that for one point, but I did know that if I looked back on the end of the day and I didn't go all in, if I didn't give it everything I had, that is something that I would regret forever. That is something that I can't live with. Um, when I started getting the support and people reaching out saying, Robert, I have so much more gratitude in my life. I wake up just feeling like my life is a gift. I'm getting, I'm working out. I'm, I'm being more grateful with my teammates at work. I'm seeing all these blessings I have in my life. You've touched my heart. You've touched my soul. You've changed my life. I received other messages. There was one, I was on Instagram, a DM from someone I didn't actually know. And he said, Hey, Robert, uh, I don't know if you'll read this and we don't know each other, but there's something I wanted to tell you. I have been in an abusive relationship the last three years and I wasn't doing anything about it. It was getting really bad. And then I saw your story and your faith and your perseverance and I got help. You saved my life. When I read stuff like that, and I tell you, tears running down my face, I realized this isn't even about me. Getting up out of my wheelchair, fighting through the pneumonia and all these things, having my life, it was not a selfish desire to keep moving forward. It was a desire to impact someone else's life. You know, we talked about that plan earlier and how could this possibly be a part of my plan? How could being a quadriplegic help me do good in this world? This challenge that was presented to me has really turned out to be a gift. It's a gift that I never would have had playing rugby, that ability to affect someone else's life in a positive way. I would not have had that had I not broken my neck. By accepting this challenge and by working for other people, it pushes me to achieve my own goals. But I think that greatest goal of all is to help others. Um, it's pushed me to do amazing things in my life and uh, I will not stop working for other people. It's the biggest commitment I've made in my life. Well, and I think, yeah, I mean, a couple things that stick out. One of the things is, you know, your dad, and again, I, 
I've, I've watched a lot of different interviews with you and a, different stories. I'm not sure where this came from, but it was something that I wrote down that your dad said. And he said to you, this could be the best thing that ever happened to you. And, and listen, I don't think for one second, I remember after my brother was killed, my mom really leaned on the idea um, from the Bible that God will never give us more than we can handle. And mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sitting here with you, we've been talking for all of 15 minutes and I don't wanna say there was a reason this happened to you, but I mean, you have a gift. You clearly have a gift for how you've moved forward and how you can inspire others with your story. But I also think back to the human element of your Robert Paler, the 20 year old college kid who saw a life ahead of him that many college kids see and, and, and you were taken off that path. And I watched video of you. I don't know if it was the first game you were back at, but you wheeled onto the field and your dad had actually said he hadn't seen you shed a tear at, at that point since your injury. Mm. And it was the national anthem was playing and you were standing next to one of your teammates and, and you were, you were breaking down. And, yeah. and then it showed you watching the match, the game, you know, the, the, the rugby match. And all I could think of was what was running through your head as you were watching all your teammates out on the field and knowing that no matter what, um, you were never going to be out on that field again. Like that would, that was a reality that you were not going to be able to change. And what runs through your head in a moment like that, where you're watching the life that was supposed to be yours kind of unfold in front of you? Mm -hmm. That was a tough moment. Um, you know, I did always try to be really strong, really tough. And I love my teammates. I love playing rugby. I loved going out there. It, it's a real special mindset you have to have to be able to take that field. Um, it's, it's going to hurt. There's going to be pain. You are going to be uncomfortable when you got a 300 pounder with the ball in his hands running straight at you. You got to lower your shoulder into him. You have to have a different kind of head on your shoulders. You know, it, it takes a very specific mindset and it's one that's very selfless. Um, it's based around your team, uh, your coaches, your family, the supporters in the stands, the players who came before you who wore that blue and gold Jersey. Um, I remember I would, I would give so much to my teammates. Um, I gave them my body. I gave them my ability to move. I, I made that sacrifice for my teammates. And I remember the national anthem was always such a proud moment for me. Um, I'm a patriotic person. I, I love being in America. And um, I think it's just a, a beautiful way to, to honor uh, all that has gone in to be able to have a moment like that and respect our country, um, and respect our troops. And, uh, you know, here I was watching my teammates run out of that tunnel onto the field, um, standing for the national anthem and just thinking, man, what I would give to be able to do that. I would give so much to go out and have that again. Um, it just showed me that there's so much in life that we have to be grateful for. And it's so important to realize it before it's gone. You know, I, I would catch myself complaining about things, complaining about things that I would mourn if I were to lose them. Um, and it just kills me 
to think about that, that I would ever complain about having to go out to practice or run gassers or complain about being sore after a game. Uh, I would have given anything to be able to go out there on that field with them. I would give anything about my family and friends. Anything else, take it. I don't want it. I want that. Um, but I have to keep pushing forward. This is my reality right now. And if I get my head lost in what could have been or what should have been, I, I won't be able to handle what's going on right now. And truthfully, whenever I have a moment like that and I'm comparing my current reality to what I wish I had or what I wanted to have, what I could have had, um, I also realize that there could be a lot worse. Uh, perspective has been such a powerful tool in my recovery. Um, I witnessed people with these traumatic brain injuries, you know, people who just completely lost a sense of who they were. They couldn't remember who their family member were, members were. They were just in this constant state of fear and confusion, um, and they couldn't move anything either. Um, I would think about people who don't come back home from war, uh, fallen soldiers, things like that. And I just think, man, I'm going through a lot, but compared to what? You know, compared to what? It can be so much harder. It can be so much worse. And how dare I ever complain about these things that others would give anything to have in the world? Um, that perspective has been such a powerful tool that when I have a tough moment like that, I can choose to look at what I want in that regard, or I can choose to appreciate what I have um, and know that there's a lot of people out there who would give anything to have what I have. I, I always talk about the idea of perspective and how important of a role it should play in everybody's life. Um, no matter how hard we're, we're struggling or how bad it is, there's always someone else that's, that has it worse. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think about that idea a lot of um, just having that understanding. And, and I always say, why? I say a lot, why did I have to wait to become the person that I wanted to be after my brother was killed, right? And mm. so I'm a different person today than I was before April 29, 2007. And why did it take that tragic event, that life-changing moment for me to make the changes I needed to make as an individual? And, and it's very easy to say, hey, you haven't dealt with anything yet, but trust me. You know, it, it could be so much worse. You've got to be positive. You've got to have the right mindset. Um, and so that's a lot of what I've talked about um, when, I, when I talk to people about this idea of putting things in perspective and having that understanding right now that, listen, your life could change tomorrow. And, and you really have to look at where you are today and be grateful and have gratitude for everything that you have. And I mean, I, I check myself now all the time. There's still moments where I'm complaining about things that are so mundane. And, and I think, are you serious? Like you, you've got to do that, that self gut check. And another thing that I think about as it pertains to what you dealt with, you know, I was a, I was a collegiate uh, athlete. I played lacrosse in college and, and I know kinship and that bond that's created with your team. And I could not imagine having someone on my team that suffered the kind of injury that you did and, and feeling not just a tremendous sense of guilt, um, still being able to do what, uh, to be able to be out on that field. And I wonder what was that like? When was the first time 
after your injury that you saw your teammates and and I have to imagine that it was way harder for them than it was for you to see them um mm. that them walking into that room like walk us through that moment who's the first person you see on your team when do you see your coach you know um I actually saw my teammates right after the game and finished it was right before my surgery um first I started making some phone calls because I didn't know if I was going to make it through the surgery. So I got my brother on the phone to hold my phone. Um, I called my closest friends and I just said, I can't move anything. Um, I'm being told I never will for the rest of my life and that I might not live another day. Uh, I just want to let you know, I love you. Um, I just, I, I needed to, I need to get that out there uh, that, you know, your friendship has meant so much to me and I'm grateful for every second we've had together. Um, that was hard. That was really tough. I think about uh, my closest friend, Tyler Douglas, you know, we were weightlifting buddies. So every single day we were together, we were putting it all out there. You know, I, I knew exactly how much he weighed and how much he wanted to weigh and, you know, all of his weightlifting goals, his personal goals in life and rugby and school and relationships. I, and he knew mine. And I just thought how hard that would be to work to build each other up every day. And then one day just see that all crumbling down. Uh, in such a horrific way. I can't imagine how difficult that would be. But I will tell you, the last thing that I want from anyone is pity. I do not want anyone to look at me and what I've gone through and feel sorry and sad and, and see a, a story of despair. This is no tragedy. Uh, this is a very positive story. It was when my friends came in to see me in person the day after I was injured and my coaches and um, I put a smile on my face. I'm talking to them. And, you know, it was just like we were hanging out, except I'm laying back quite a bit being lazy. Um, that was the kind of interactions that I wanted to have. I don't want anybody to look at me and, and feel sorry. Um, I don't want that at all. I, I don't need their, their pity. Um, I want people to be inspired by this because in the end of the day, the thing that makes this a net positive is me being able to inspire others. If I didn't have that, then none of this would be good. This would be all negatives in my life. But being able to touch someone's heart, that's a purpose I have in my life. Um, that's something I wake up every single day and I want to get better at and, uh, and I want to work at in my life. Um, so all those, all those interactions, I think by me being positive about it, by me being happy to see my friends, I think that helped a lot. Um, but they've been there for me. They really stepped up to the plate in, in those first months uh, when I was out in Colorado. And, uh, and when I returned back to UC Berkeley, helped me get around the hills and to and from my workouts and classes. Um, they've always been there for me. Uh, you know, I might not be on the roster. I might not have been putting on my cleats the last three years, but I feel I'm always a member of that team. Um, those will always be my teammates. I truly believe that, and it's shown. So this is something that's a little bit tougher to talk about. Um, one of the things that I read, and, and you you shared about it on that day, you know, the, the, the events that led up to your injury were as a result of illegal um, tactics on the field. And I read that you never heard from the, the guy that had you in the chokehold, never heard from the, the staff or the coaching staff at Arkansas. What's, I mean, Again, I try to put myself in your shoes and, and think about, and I'm sure at this point, it's, it's a little bit fleeting to the whole purpose and of your life and everything you're going through, but 
you got to think back to like just that idea of that that kid and 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 what he's living with and why did he not reach out i mean clearly they know what's happened to you and and mm-hmm. what do you think about that and 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 where are you now with your feelings towards towards a kid that had you in the chokehold that caused your your devastating injury you know at first i wanted to be angry i wanted to hate that person and uh i may be one of that person to hurt like i've hurt because this happens to a lot of people people break their necks every single day and sometimes it's just doing stupid stuff you know they're they're driving drunk or they're diving into shallow water uh, they're just doing something that's dumb you know here i was really trying to maximize my life uh trying to do something amazing competing in this championship and because of someone else's actions intentional actions to break the laws of the game i was in this situation and it was blatant you know we had we had photos we had videos and i was watching these things of someone wrenching me down by my neck pile driving my skull into the turf and causing all the pain that i was going through my instinct was to be angry as a contact sports guy my instinct was to punch the guy back and that's what happens if someone pushes you you push them back right you don't just you don't sit there and turn the other cheek no this is rugby you hit them that's what we do that was my instinct um I'm also a religious person. Um, I've grown up Catholic my entire life. And it was kind of one of those WWJD moments for me to where I was thinking, you know, what's the smart thing to do here? Because the more hate I give to this person, the more I focus on what he did to me. And he still hasn't reached out to me to this day. Um, you know, here we are nearly, what, 1,300 days post-injury. Um, I've never heard a word from him. I never heard a word from their coach. Um, and USA Rugby even completely swept what happened to me under the rug. It took six months with an investigation. They finally came out and said, we see no penalizable offenses. In fact, Robert was at fault because his head was below his shoulders in the mall, disregarding the fact that I was illegally pinned into that position. Um, There are these bad apples out there that just seemed like they just wanted to cause me pain. And it was a real conscious decision that I forgive them, whether they are sorry or not. Because I realized the more hate I gave to them, the more power I gave to them, the less power I could give to myself. Forgiveness is not a one-way transaction. It's not just to relieve the person who did wrong of guilt. I think more than anything, it helps release that pain from the person who was done wrong too. It takes strength. It is not a weak thing to do to forgive others. It is a very strong thing to do. At first, when I forgave him, I still had some hate in my heart. Um, and I, I still held some animosity towards him, but as I consciously made that decision thinking, you know, nope, no matter how angry I am, no matter how much my instinct wants to punch this guy back, I choose to forgive him, whether he's sorry or not. And over the course of three and a half years now, I don't even give him a thought. I, I have completely moved on from this situation. Um, it's just something that I don't think about. The power has been given completely to me. It's allowed me to move forward in my life and and do incredible things despite of what happened. That's incredible. And, it, and it's true. Um, listen, it would be much easier for you to hang on to that animosity and that hate and um, than to forgive. And And you hear these powerful stories of forgiveness and you know, and I, I don't know that I could say the same if, if I were in your shoes. I don't know that I would be able to say, you know what, I'm going to just forgive them. Um, so I give you uh, an amazing amount of credit for that. And 
I think that the, the power of forgiveness lends power to you moving forward and mm. through everything that, that you're working through. So um, it's pretty awesome. Uh, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to look back before your injury because mm -hmm. for those that don't know, there's actually a connection with Robert and the Travis Mannion Foundation. And it was the September before your injury and your teammates ran in a 9-11 Heroes Run together. That's correct. And so you were somewhat familiar with the Travis Mannion Foundation. And, and I, I love, I don't want to say I love hearing stories like this, but you know, my, my brother lived by this motto of if not me, then who? That no matter what, he was going to step forward and do what he needed to do. And I look at everything you're going through and, and gosh, I can't, you know, I did not enter into this conversation thinking that I was going to agree with your dad about him saying this could have been the best, this could be the best thing that ever happened to you. But, but there, there's a reason that, that this happened to you. There, there absolutely is. And I think you epitomize this idea of if not me, then who, of taking those five words and saying, you know, how am I going to move forward? How am I going to set the example for somebody that has dealt with an injury like this? And, and, you know, I try to shape that within my own life as a, the sister of a fallen service member. You know, I, I know that I have an obligation to some degree to set the example of, of what I believe the rest of the country should look towards when they look towards families of the fallen, that we are strong, we are resilient. All we want is for our loved ones to be remembered. We want their legacy to continue. And we want people to know that we move forward with their strength, you know? And if you had taken the ladder and said, you know, I'm going to feel sorry for myself. I'm going to be angry at the guy that caused me this injury. Um, I'm not going to try. I've been told I can't walk again. I can't move again. So that's just what it is. You, you have this story to tell and, and you have this almost, I always think sometimes like we have an obligation, right? We mm -hmm. have an obligation, uh, to some degree you're out there. People know who you are. They're following you. They want to know what's happening with you. You now have an obligation to set the example and, and to move forward in that way. And, when you ran that Heroes Run, did, how much did you know about the foundation? How did that happen? So it was every year, actually, um, over in Lafayette, the Cal rugby team would bring roughly eight participants to, to go on this run, um, the 9-11 Fallen Heroes Run. And, uh, and I just thought it was so cool um, to, to be able to do that. Um, you know, I have such great respect for service members. Um, it's something that, you know, I have never participated in individually. Uh, my grandfather served, he was a Marine um, in the Korean War. And, uh, and hearing his stories and, and what, what he went through um, to give us this amazing life, such an incredible life. Um, it's an example that I wanted to emulate. Um, it's, it's something that that was just, it looks like the way to live, uh, the way to be a really fantastic, person, a very selfless person. Um, 
we went on that out on that run and you know man i was a big guy i wasn't used to running that far actually and uh and i don't they put me out there i don't maybe for the picture or something just to show off some size for us uh but i was hanging with all those faster guys and stuff just huffing and puffing by the end and our coach would always say is that you guys need to win this thing um, if we are not losing today, one of you needs to win this. So that person wasn't me, but I did my best. Um, but uh, the mission of the foundation and everything that it stands for, uh, everything that your brother stood for is so inspiring to me. Um, it feeds this tool that I want to talk about, and it's having a good mental diet. Uh, this is something that's helped me a lot too. You know, we all understand the physical diet, right? It's nasty in, nasty out, or if you eat well, you'll perform well. And I think the same thing goes for our minds. Um, the more we take in negativity, the more we act and feel in negative ways, just as the more positivity we take in real inspiring stories and stuff like that, the more inspired we're going to be as people. It's real intentional actions. And when I was, especially in the first few months, the first year in the hospital, it was very regular for me to look up these inspiring stories of people who persevered and did incredible things. When, when I was feeling weak, when I was, when I was trying to find this why, trying to answer this why in my life, uh, it was that good mental diet going out and seeking those stories that really helped me push forward. Um, it's such an amazing commitment that others have given to this country, um, to us, to me, um, someone who they don't even know. And uh, that makes me want to push forward is just really great stories like that. It fuels me. I agree with that idea, the mental diet, because, mm -hmm. you know, when you train with inspiring stories with people who have persevered, it, it leaves you empowered to want to do more. So um, mm. it's really, it's, it's true. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that. And um, one of the things that I think is so cool, um, no other way to say it, and awesome, is that 1,300 days ago, you dealt with a life-changing injury that would change the course of your life. And, and I watched your YouTube with all these different milestones, as I talked about, but somehow in the midst of your rehab and everything that you're dealing with, you still graduate college in four years, like every other yeah. kid. I mean, that was amazing to me. And, and it's kind of just this, it was almost the sidebar to your story, but I'm like, this is big. I mean, yeah. it would have been very easy for you to say, hey, listen, like college ain't my thing anymore. I got to deal with physically getting myself to a better place, but somehow, you, you graduate and, and you actually delivered the commencement ceremony. Is that correct? For Cal Athletics, that's correct. I mean, it, so you get your business degree from UC Berkeley and congratulations, you just graduated. Thank you. And what, is that, what does that look like for you? So what, what is your next step? Because sure, when you entered into UC Berkeley, I'm sure your, your professional aspirations look much different than they did before. And mm -hmm. what does earning that degree mean to you? I mean, I, I have to imagine that it means something even more special at this point. It's incredible. Um, it's something that was not guaranteed for me. I think when a lot of people enter the college route, it's just something that's going to happen. Yeah, you got to put in the time, you got to put in the work, but this is going to happen. Um, 
it wasn't certain that I was going to graduate. Um, it wasn't certain that I was going to physically be able to return to school. UC Berkeley is tough. It is so tough. Number one public university in the world and then was able to get into the Haas School of Business, which is the top three undergraduate business program um, in the world. It's competitive. Uh, you know, we're talking the percentage of a percent of a small percentage to get into the school. Um, and I made it. And this was something I always wanted in my life, uh, wheelchair or not. It's something that I wanted. I, I wanted to have this. Uh, there was so much pride to be able to walk through those halls and think of the other people who were there, how, you know, how much it took and how cool it was to just be there and soak up the moment. Um, I was able to put in my time and I was taking six classes a semester, pretty full course load and still put in my rehabilitation every day and not just putting it in and getting by maintaining, but progressing um, to where I can now stand up out of my wheelchair and my walker on my own and walk up to 200 yards. Things that I was told were completely impossible. Um, I made it and I want to do something with this degree. Um, I want to share this story. It is my mission on this earth to share my experiences, share these tools that have helped me to overcome quadriplegia with others, because the reality is everyone goes through challenges. Every single person deals with adversity in their lives. And it doesn't have to be something when you fall in and you're picking yourself back up and that kind of negative connotation, but a goal is a challenge and achieving success, sustaining success, that's tough. That's a challenge. But these tools that have helped me to overcome quadriplegia, I think they can use, be used by anyone to accomplish these goals and overcome these adversities. Um, it's this lifelong study in human performance that I've entered relating the, the personal experiences that I've gone through to real proven strategies to overcome these challenges. I'm an inspirational speaker now. I, I share this message, these stories, these tools, whether it's sports teams, companies, school groups, helping others overcome those adversities in their lives. It makes, this is what makes this injury into a gift. And it's a gift that I can share with other people. Um, I'm also working on writing a book, being able to put that out into a long form. Um, it makes me so excited. It's something that I wake up every single day, ready to get after. Um, it's something that I couldn't wish away. It's so strong that if I were given the opportunity to change what happened to me on May 6, 2017, I wouldn't do it. There's no way I could do it. I wouldn't even blink an eye at that decision because the people I've met, these experiences I've, I've had, and now this gift that I have to go and share with others um, is something that I just simply couldn't wish away. Um, do I want to be walking? Yes. And I will continue to fight for that. I will either get out of this wheelchair one day or I will die trying but I could not wish away what happened to me. And that speaking is what gives it to me. Oh. And so actually stood out of your wheelchair for the first time since your accident. And I saw the video of that. What was it? September 7th? Is it, it was on Labor Day. Yeah, it was on Labor Day. It took me 1,220 days to do that. 1,220 days to stand up out of your wheelchair on your own something that you were told 1,220 days prior that would never happen. Mm -hmm. And it looked like you were just in your bedroom. Um, so there wasn't a lot of pomp and circumstance around it. Someone was videotaping you and, and yeah. you, you stood up. And what's that moment like for you? Clearly, you see all the video of leading up to that day and, and everything that it took but 
to reach that milestone when you were told, and, and listen, I, I'd like to think that I would have the same strength and approach it in the same way as you, but I feel like that if I was told by a doctor, you're never going to walk again, I don't know that I'd feel like I was going to be that person that would defy the odds. I'd, I'd probably, I feel like I'd probably be like, well, if the doctor says I'm not going to walk again, I mean, why, why am I going to think for one second that I'm going to stand or walk again? And, and mm. you are doing that. What, what's that moment feel like? It was incredible. Um, but I, I will tell you this, um, it's kind of funny and you're, you're going to think this is funny. It kind of just feels like I'm standing up, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's difficult to be able to do something like that. I'll, I'll tell you, I probably get a better, a bigger rush of adrenaline, that dopamine rush from getting like an A on a test. I am being completely serious with you. When I walked for the first time, when I was able to get up and into a walker, you know, assisted and moved my legs forward without being a harness. It was something that it took me about eight months to reach that milestone, eight to nine hours of rehabilitation every day. I was, I was putting everything I had to reach this goal. And I always thought that like, when this happens, I'm going to be so happy. You know, when I'm able to stand up out of my wheelchair and on my walker, everything's going to be great. I'm going to feel incredible. Um, the reality is I stood up out of that wheelchair and, it, you know, my mom was sitting there videotaping me in my room and, uh, you know, it just kind of happened. And then, you know, then the moment's gone and it's, and it's on to the next challenge now. Um, it's such an important lesson I try to teach people is don't wait to let yourself be happy. Don't wait to, to celebrate your victories that you have in life to you're getting to some goal that's years out because if I was telling myself, I'm only going to be happy when I get out of my wheelchair, I would be a terribly sad and depressed person. I would have my head down and I'd be missing all these amazing things that are going on around me. Um, you know, achieving that goal, um, it was a big deal. It's a huge deal. Um, and man, I got millions of views. It's so cool watching on Fox News, the SBN and all, receiving all the love. Such a beautiful moment. And so cool to think that after 1220 days, of hard work and persistence, I was able to give joy to millions of people. Um, yeah, that, that's what makes it worth it for me. That's what gets me excited. Um, because being able to stand up, like I said, it just felt like I was pushing really hard to stand up. <laughs> just felt like I had a bunch of weight on my shoulders. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that your coach said about you is that your resiliency is amazing. Mm. And you know, this is called the Resilient Life Podcast. And, and I saw something, I actually had a friend send me something. And listen, there are a thousand different definitions of what resilience means. And it was actually right before I got on with you, someone, my friend had just sent me a, um, an image from a post from Instagram. And it said, resilience is just about making sure that you keep going, something to that. Mm. And... I think about that idea of resilience and that definition of resilience seems to define who you are, just about yeah. keeping going and, and each and every day, making sure that you're going to, you know, no pun intended, put one foot in front of the other, right? Mm -hmm. um, what, does, what does living a resilient life mean to you? To me, it's moving forward through adversity or pain. Um, 
things happen to us in life. Uh, these challenges, they can be big or small and they can paralyze us. Um, no pun intended, right? Um, they, we can, everyone can be paralyzed by these challenges. Um, it can be really hard to keep moving forward through that pain and saying, you know, why am I putting forth this effort? Uh, you know, why am I doing this? Um, is it worth it that I do this? Um, my vision has been so strong. I have this hunger, this desire to achieve this goal. Um, it's insatiable, uh, this hunger I have to go out and walk again. When you lose your ability to walk, you want nothing more than to walk. Uh, when you lose your ability to feed yourself, you want nothing more than to just be able to feed yourself again. Um, it cycles through your mind nonstop. It's something that there is no break from paralysis. Um, you know, you can be training for something, let's say you're a bodybuilder or something like that. And people say, oh, you know, you're, when you're a bodybuilder, you're doing it all the time, right? You know, you go to the gym and then you're fo focusing on what you're eating, you're getting good sleep, and then you go back to the gym. But you still get breaks in between. There's not a moment that I have away from my paralysis. Um, even like in my dreams, you know, it's funny. Maybe that is my escape because in my dreams, I actually can walk and I can run. And I can do all these things. And, and I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, like May 6th still happened and all that stuff, but I made it, you know, this is awesome. And then I wake up and it's immediate. Um, you know, I'm like, whoa, I, this, is, this is my reality. My reality is, is difficult. It's not what is in my dreams at all. Um, I still need to continue to fight through this, but I built this insatiable appetite to get up and walk. Um, it's like I said, it's something that if I look back on the end of the day and I didn't give it my all, I will regret that forever. Um, it is the biggest goal I've had in my life um, to where that makes it a lot easier to be resilient, um, this hunger that I have to achieve this goal. Because with every step I take comes the decision to take another. Um, it's, and it requires much of my effort every single time I do that. In the beginning of my sessions, I'm kind of cruising along, you know, I'm putting forth a little bit of that effort. By the end of it, I'm screaming with every single step. I kid you not. There are literally times I'm struggling so hard, there are tears running down my face. And this is just me working out of my house. And I'm going to do this every single day. I get up and I, and I work out this every single day. Um, that resiliency is built through hunger and a true desire of want to get better. Um, I don't know how to give that to everyone else in their lives. Um, there's some people that, that don't want it as much. Um, I hope they do because we all have one life. We got one chance on this dirt and to make something out of it. Um, so I think it's time to build some hunger, build some desires and want and, and build a life that we really want to live. Wow. Robert, um, listen, I did not expect to sit down with you today. I knew your story was incredibly inspiring, but I did not think that I was gonna be so blown away. I mean, <laughs> you're a kid. Like the way that you look at things is incredible. It's, it's really unbelievable. And- Thank you. Wow. I mean, for, for you to have the perspective that you do, on everything that's happened to you is, is truly awe-inspiring. Um, if you are a company or a business out there that is looking for an inspirational speaker, this is your guy. <laughs> I'm blown away. I'm sitting here. This is probably the least amount of questions I've ever asked a guest because I'm just, I'm literally zoning out just listening to you. Like you have fed my mental diet for the day, probably for 
the the next month. Holy crap! Um, I love that. I'm. Your story is amazing. Uh, your but what's even more important is your perspective on your story. And mm. I've never heard someone use the word hunger with resilience, but it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Much sense. I I can't thank you enough for joining us here today. I look forward to reading your book when it comes out. And please do us all a favor and keep tracking your journey for all to see because it's incredible. And I think that you have a lot to teach a lot of people. Um, so I, I, I'm looking forward to watching your journey unfold over the next days, weeks, months, and years. And I think there is, there's a lot ahead for you, 100%. Uh, Robert Paler, thank you so much for joining us on The Resilient Life. Thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute blessing. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. And special thanks to our guest today, Robert Paler. All I can say is, wow, what an incredible story of strength, overcoming obstacles, and just an incredible spirit to move forward and to push forward. This is surely one that you don't want to miss. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the Resilient Life Podcast. And thanks again for joining us for another episode.